Welcome to episode five of the MJ Sports Report podcast, our weekly podcast where we talk about all the local high school sports. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by Kyle Heim today. Kyle, we have a ton to get to, so we'll just jump right into it. We won't have the, the whole Packers uh, sidebar this time, even though uh, it was a, a strange tie the other day with the Vikings. Um, we'll get right into it. We'll start with, uh, with the recaps, like always, the football recaps. We'll get to a lot of volleyball, Wilton Muscatine Volleyball. And finally, Kyle, finally, Muscatine Cross Country has run a race. They've nearly went three weeks without doing it, but they have finally run again. So we will get to them, and we'll start with uh, Muscatine and Johnston. Um, Recap-wise, Muscatine loses 42-7. to um, I'll kick this over to you early, actually. Just uh, get get your impressions, Kyle. What, what did you think uh, of this game as you were following it, just, just back here from the office? Yeah, just watching kind of you tweet about the game, it just seemed like they were struggling offensively quite a bit. I, I know just talking to Mueller after practice tomorrow and Cooper Zach, they both said that they were struggling to finish drives and made some costly mistakes mm-hmm. in that game. And so... Mm-hmm. Kind of hurt them early. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The early mistakes were definitely costly. Uh, first drive of the game, they go three and out, compound that by uh, snapping it over the punter's head, and like n- not just a little over the punter's head, like like pretty pretty far over his head, got kicked around, so it like went clear back to the five-yard line. Uh, Johnston recovers, scores. Uh, just a couple minutes later, um, their spread option just really killed Muscatine. Uh, Mueller told me it's really tough to replicate that in practice. Uh, Johnston just has so many athletes. They gave it to eight guys. Um, one of those guys had one carry in garbage time. The other seven were, like, getting actual carries when it mattered. So they just have a ton of guys that they can give it to. Uh, Jordan Rush, uh, nine for 89 on the ground, two touchdowns. Uh, Nutelli Davis, um, six for 20 for two touchdowns on the ground. Just a, just a really balanced rushing attack for them. Muscatine did respond early with a touchdown. Uh, screen to Nimley went like 66 yards. And then Eli Gay from the Wildcat on the next play scored a touchdown. Kind of sounds like more of Gay and the Wildcat will be coming just to, to get one of their best athletes the ball. But in the blink of an eye, it was 28-7. They, they just couldn't stop Johnston's offense. Uh, Nimley had a fumble deep in Muscatine territory. It really wasn't even a fumble. Johnston just came in and uh, grabbed the ball out of his hands like while he was still up, and a uh, pretty, pretty good play on their part. They're just a fast, disciplined defense. They took away Muscatine's screen game, which we both know is just a huge part of their offense. Carson Orr said that that was a lot. That made things a lot tougher for them when they couldn't go to that screen game. Eli gave only three receptions for 10 yards. Um, obviously, he had been a lot more involved the first three weeks. Uh, they have two for 15 on the ground. With the touchdown, uh, Carson Orr, 114 passing yards. Nimbley, 15 carries for 34 yards. Obviously his worst uh, game of the season. Johnson's front seven was just that good. It was Muscatine's first time giving up 40 or more since last season. So I get, you know, that's still a good sign, obviously, the, from the improvement from last year. Uh, Kyle, any, anything more we need to add on this one? I know it just really wasn't – it just didn't seem like it was in the cards for the Muskies the other night. No, just two tough opponent. Mm-hmm. Top ranked, one of the top ranked opponents in Class Four A. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then uh, we can move on to another one of our local teams playing a pretty highly ranked opponent, uh, Loiza Muscatine. They lose to Minneapolis, thirty nine to twenty one. Kyle, just 
what what were your impressions from this one? I think it, it looks like LM put put up a pretty decent fight. I mean, this is a good Minneapolis team. They're up against number six ranked team in Very Class One A. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's kind of a similar thing with Muscatine, where mistakes against a really good football team cost them big. I know two of Chase Cruz's eight pass attempts in that game were interceptions. So, and then defensively, I mean, they shut out Columbus Community a week earlier, but then they surrendered 385 total yards and five touchdowns to Minneapolis. So mm-hmm. that hurt them. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, you said that two two of Cruz's eight passes were interceptions. He he struggled uh, passing the ball. I, I know this in my preview for this week, but it's weird. He's passed for a lot more yards in their wins than he has in their losses. So I do think that just kind of shows you they are more dangerous when they when they get that ground game going. Uh, Minneapolis, though, a good team, no not a bad loss uh, by Louisa Musk team by any any stretch of the imagination. Um, we we can move right ahead here to Durant at Wapolo. Obviously, a, a game between two area teams. Durant beat Wapolo 19-6, so this one went uh, just about, I think, like we both expected. Kyle, you said that, that Ricky Ford's wouldn't have as good of a game last week as the week before, and you were you were on target with that. Ten carries for 17 yards for Ford's. Um, a real nice show of that Durant defense. I think the takeaway from this game is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Tristan Hughes uh, back on track uh on the ground for the Wildcats, 129 rushing yards on 29 carries after just 143 yards uh, for the first three games. How big is that, Kyle, for them to, to get Hughes back on track with the passing game that they have? Yeah, it's huge because, I mean, you've seen LaFrance and uh, Compton get on early connection together so far, great connection so far, and to have that running game working too, they become more dangerous offense, and so... That's huge going into district play here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we'll talk. We'll get hit hit on this later. But Durant has a very, very, very tough district schedule. So that yes, they will certainly need to be as balanced and as good offensively as they can. Uh, defensively, you know, you hit it right on the head. I mean, you thought they were going to show up, and they did. I mean, like I said, holding rookie forts to just 17 yards. Uh, Wapolo just 153 total yards in this one. And that Wapolo has been a pretty good offensive team. I mean, Noah Holland's a first-year quarterback, but he's had a solid start to his season. So really impressive showing by the Wildcats. Uh, you do note here that Ricky Fords did still have a good defensive game, uh, 15 and a half tackles. So still still a good game on that side of the ball for Fords. And then we can move to uh, what, for like the third week in a row, West Liberty has provided us, I think, the best, the best game in our area. Free football. I said last week on the podcast – my exact words were, I do not think West Liberty will go in the overtime for a third straight week. What do they do? They go in the overtime for a third straight week. I think they were actually ahead by 10 points entering the fourth quarter, and uh, Washington rallied late to, to force overtime. Obviously, Washington wins that one 34-27 in overtime, so tough loss for the Comets, but golly, it's just, you know, three overtime games in a row is it, pretty insane. But one thing I will say is that their offense does seem to be back on track a little bit, Kyle. How how big is it? I guess what what do you think of the improvement uh, they've shown offensively? It seems like the line must. I know we haven't seen them, but it seems like the line must be playing better if Seth Feldman's putting up the numbers he has been lately. Yeah, Feldman completed twelve of twenty-two passes for one hundred and forty yards and three touchdowns against Washington. He had seventy-two rushing yards and another touchdown on twenty attempts. So they're obviously opening up more room for that running game, and Feldman's doing more in the passing game as well. Um, but, yeah, the offense 
collected just 247 total yards and scored six points combined through those first two games. It's collected 526 total yards and 55 points over the last two weeks. So yep. that's Aver- a sign of improvement. Averaging 27 and a half points is certainly much better than three yeah. points. Yeah. So that, that's been the comments through uh, the first two games, three points per game. Last two games, uh, 27 and a half points per game. I do think that's obviously a positive sign. Uh, defensively, uh, they have struggled a little bit defensively since holding uh, Solon to a shocking seven points in week two. Um, they gave up 415 yards a couple weeks ago, 331 uh, the other day. Uh, Spencer Doffel continues to play really well in the defensive line, threw solo tackles for him um, for loss against Washington. Uh, Team high eight tackles. Uh, Will S. Moyles up to 41 and a half tackles on the season. That's 14 and a half more than anybody else on the team. I think if they can get the defense and the offense to play well at the same time, yeah. this, could, this could be a good team, but they just they, it's just been every other game. It's just been one one side of the ball playing well, not the other. And Kyle, unless you've got anything to add, we can move on to what we thought would be uh, the biggest game of the week uh, coming in. Definitely didn't disappoint, I don't think. Uh, Wilton loses to Benton Community 26-13. to Obviously, you know, Benton's a top top five, six-ranked team. It's a big-time matchup there. Uh, Benton rushed 17 times for 144 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, their quarterback threw for another and rushed for another. So, big game from him. Uh, the Wilton defense have been forcing turnovers early in the season, but Kyle, seems like that was maybe kind of the difference in this one as they weren't able to. Yeah, they lost this one 2 nothing. They also just had one sack Friday after averaging more than three a game through the first third of the season. So they obviously had some struggles with that in the offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, aside from the interception that Jerome Mays threw, he had a pretty good game, 16 of 28 for 171 yards, two touchdowns, uh, 51 yards on 14 rushing attempts. Uh, Brian Stillman, as we talked about uh, before the podcast, continues just to make plays when he's, when he's called upon. Uh, for Wilton, 56 yards on four carries. Uh, you know, Colin McCrabb, their lead guy in the rushing game for a, a lot of the season, he struggled. 36 rushing yards on 19 attempts, uh, so just 1.9 yards per carry. Um, the offense definitely struggled a little bit. You know, defensively, they they gave up twice as many points as they had all season. Uh, they're they're still only giving up like 13.5 points per game or so, something to that effect. So, defensively, still a good performance, just not quite enough out of their offense. Kyle, any other takeaways uh, from this one for you? I don't think so. And then we can, we can move on. Um, we thought that maybe Columbus would have a chance to, to keep this one close and maybe interesting down the stretch, but that turned out not to be the case. Um, they lose to North Cedar, 53-24. to um, We have no stats on this one still from either side, so we really can't tell you too much about what happened, but I just will say that that Columbus had been shut out its previous two weeks, I want to yep. say. And they scored 16 in week one. So you definitely see some improvements maybe in that offense at, as we move along here. Um, we do know this. We do know their defense uh, struggled to stop the run once again, Kyle. Yeah, 507 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns to Northeast or North Cedar. Mm-hmm. We knew that was going to be a struggle going in with that young defense. So. Not mm-hmm. really much surprise there. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, Columbus falls to 0-4 on the season. And just to update you on our predictions, Kyle and I both uh, predicted every game the same last week. And so our records are still the same. We'll see if we can get any separation heading into this week. Uh, we'll get to those predictions for week 
five later on. But first, we'll, we'll jump into some volleyball here. We'll start with Muscatine, and we can start with the bad, get into the good here. Um, they went 1-3 at the Clinton Invitational against a very, very tough, tough slate. You know, drop, drop them Davenport Central. Um, they lose to Dubuque Waller and Central DeWitt, all those teams, in three sets. Um, obviously, Central and Central Davenport Central and Central DeWitt are both good teams, and then Dubuque Waller is a top-five team in Class 4A, so no shame there. They did beat Dubuque Senior to, to round it out in the consolation bracket, but the real... The real positive for the Muskies came on Tuesday, Kyle. They uh, they beat Davenport North, swept them actually, 25-17, 25-17, 25-19, and they did it without uh, one of their top players, correct? Yep, Hannah Reynolds was out of this one. Uh, she was second on the team in kills heading into the night. She was homesick, so uh, Coach Tim Martin moved sophomore Riley Moss into her hitting position, and she really stepped up. And that front line led the team with seven kills, which... I think heading into the night, she had five total on the season. So that was a big contribution there. Um, but overall, Martin was just really pleased with the way they responded after that tough weekend coming back and getting the sweep on the road. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah, they, they moved Riley Moss up to the front line, seven kills like, like we talked about. Um, that's more than she had had all season in entering, entering uh, the other night. And before the season, uh, Tim Martin did tell me that she would be one that he would kind of move all over the place, maybe put up to the front line if he needed to. He hadn't needed to yet, but she did show why he felt confident in moving her uh, just about anywhere. Um, Haley Jarrett, 21 assists. Um, Vada Fridley, 10 digs. Uh, just, just a good night for Muscatine. And now they're 7-7 seven and seven on the season, but more importantly, 4-1 and one in the MAC. Um, they're tied for second in the MAC with Pleasant Valley. Uh, they were preseason number nine, so just... Just really good stuff from the Muskies so far this season. I'll be curious to see see where they finish up because they I don't think anybody expected them to, to be where they are in the MAC at this point. And now move right on here to West Liberty Volleyball. They beat Durant in a in a wild five set match. Um 22 25, 25 22, 25 16, 17 25. 15-11. I have it on good authority uh, per Ryan Stonebreaker that they were down 9-3 to in the fifth set West Liberty was and, and came back and won that one. So big big time win for the Comets. I do also think that just shows that Durant, once again, more proof that Durant is an improved team because West Liberty, they're, they're fully healthy in this one. They have Martha Pace back. So that's a top 10 team in Class 3 when they're healthy. And Durant takes them right down to the wire. Uh, Macy Dawfelt who I'll talk more about in a minute. 15 kills, Martha Pace back after missing some time with an illness. Uh, 13 kills, uh, Hallie Mueller, 6. Uh, Morgan Pearson, 34 assists. May- Macy Akers, 28 digs. Um, but then, Kyle, just real quick, uh, what did you see? Uh, we'll go to the negative real quick on West Liberty's week. They obviously play a very tough Tipton team, number two team in Class 3A for a reason. Um, what what did we, what did you see out of the comments in that match? They they were swept fairly fairly easily in that one. Yep, swept in that one, and I, they were really missing Martha Pace in that one. She had injured her hand at the Muscatine mm-hmm. Invitational, and then she was out sick in this one. So missing that middle hitter, and they just struggled offensively quite a bit. Um, Macy Dawfelt still had nine kills, but outside of that, they weren't able to do much. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, just uh, again, I, I think that pro- number one, you can't really judge West Liberty too harshly without without Martha Pace. She's a very big part of that team. Um, without her, it, teams can kind of key in on Macy Dawfelt at the net, and Tipton has an excellent block. Um, I'll get to that a little bit later uh, when we talk about Wilton's match with them. But uh, Macy Dawfelt, speaking of her, she was our prep of the week this week. I did that story with on her. was a fun one to do. Uh, she is very, very athletic. That is the one thing that stood out to both Kyle and I when we've seen her. Um, we, we're taking photos this year, and the one thing that we've both noticed is that her head is above the net. I think I've said this before, but above the net on every single photo of her going up for a kill, which is pretty impressive. A 9 foot 9 um, reach when, you know, when she jumps, she can reach up to 9 feet 9 inches. So uh, she says the goal is to be dunking a tennis ball uh, before too long. We'll see. We'll see if she gets there on that. Um, she didn't know if she'd be um, able to contribute this much, uh, this quickly. She moved from outside hitter, uh, playing for the Iowa Rockets, uh, a travel, a club volleyball team, moved from outside hitter, the middle hitter, uh, by Galvan to get more size uh, on their block on the left and right side. She told me it was definitely an adjustment hitting-wise just because it's very different angles. You can do a lot of different things from the outside than you can from the middle, and they can kind of key on you more in the middle with their blockers, the other team can, but it really, you wouldn't know it based on our numbers. 137 kills, uh, 0.465 kill efficiency, uh, 3.7 kills per set. I think Aubrey Putman is the only player in the area with more kills uh, than Dawfeld so far. So a very impressive year, but it's not just uh, that at the net. Um, 68 digs in the back line. She is now able to stay in the game on rotations instead of being subbed out. For a freshman, that's very, very impressive. Uh, Ruben Galvan, their coach, he made the comment, you know, earlier in the year he couldn't really trust her as much, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but basically he didn't trust her as much to be out there uh, earlier in the year on the back line. Now he he does. His confidence is growing in her. But he did say, you know, she also knows that if she's not playing well, you know, the bench is there for her. So that that could be a source of motivation as well. Uh, anything else on Macy uh, to add? I know you didn't maybe see Wesley on their best day, Kyle, but what did you think when you watched her the other day? Yeah, I mean, she just plays with a ton of confidence. In addition to those nine kills, she had six digs mm-hmm. defensively against some great tipped in hitters. So, and she was perfect nine for nine serving the ball. So, mm-hmm. really impressed with mm-hmm. that. Definitely a well balanced game. She has a good team around her. That obviously always helps. Um, and just real quick on Durant Volleyball, I wanted to touch on them before we moved on. Um, outside of the West Liberty loss, uh, they're now 11-5 and on the season. They had a busy weekend, 3-2 uh, and two at a tournament. They beat Union Community, Iowa City, Regina, and Maquoketa. Uh, they lost to Benton and uh, Grundy Center. Um, they also swept West Branch last Thursday, which, you know, West Branch, uh, they took West Liberty the five earlier in the season, so that's a pretty good West Branch team they swept. Uh, Durant, like I said, 11 and five on the year. For reference, uh, they were 14 and 21 last year to end their season. So it seems like a safe bet they're going to pass that win total. I know last year, kind of the perception around them was, gosh, they they are talented, but they just can't put together wins. They're doing that this year. Their front line is very balanced. Auburn Dittmer, 107 kills. Cameron Meyer, 92. Two other girls uh, above 65. Uh, Ruby Kapler, 274 assists. Hannah Happ, 108 digs. They've just really got got a nice core group there. And and then uh, on to their rival, um, Wilton. They've played a lot since we last talked. We can start just real quick, mid-Prairie. They swept them last Thursday. 
Then they went to the Clinton volleyball tournament. And Kyle, I told you last week that that our own Matt Cost said, you know, if Clinton, if they win that tournament, move them in the top five of uh, of Class Two A. Well, they came close. They came very, very close. Uh, they beat Class Three A number four Davenport Assumption three sets. They beat Class Four A number eleven Clinton in two sets. They beat Davenport North in three. They swept Central Dewitt. And then they finally fell to Dubuque Waller, number four in Class 4A, 15 to 13 in the third set. So two sets to one. It was actually 13 to 13, uh, Brenda Grunder told me. And they just lost the last two points. So really pleased with that, uh, Grunder was. But she was not pleased with how they carried over that momentum in the Tipton. They lost in four, uh, 25 27, or 27 25. 25-22, Like I said, she's very disappointed. Didn't feel like they built off their weekend well. They battled well in the first set, had a, had a set point, didn't win it. Uh, they bounced back in the second, got up for the one, kind of rode out that lead. Kelsey Drake had some big serves in there. Um, it was tied at 22 late, later in the set, though. Aubrey Putman had two kills uh, to kind of seal it. But the third and fourth, they really lost control of the match. Uh, Tipton block was great. Their front line was great. Um, Wilton, just ball control was not there. That was what Grunder was most disappointed in. Um, Kyle, in, in, anything to add on this one? Obviously, I know you weren't there, but just you've seen Tipton uh, play in person, so you can kind of speak on what, what you think of their of their front line. Yeah, Tipton's so tough defensively. When I saw them against West Liberty, they have 54 digs and 14 total blocks and just three sets. They held... Macy Doffel, one of the most efficient hitters in the state, to a negative kill efficiency that mm-hmm. match. So they just pre- present a tough matchup against anyone mm-hmm. they face. And I think Aubrey Putman was the only Wilton player not with a negative kill efficiency the other night, but it, it she wasn't too far off, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, basically, if it wasn't enough, later on that match, if Aubrey Putman wasn't getting a kill, it was really tough for West Liberty to, to piece together points um, outside of a couple of tipped and errors. Um, we can move on to... Some S-E-I-S-C. Always love uh, saying that. Volleyball. Uh, Kyle, tell us about, about Wapolo and Columbus and the Wise of Muskie. I know they've all um, got some matches under their belt since last time we talked. Yeah, Wapolo's run into another tough stretch of its schedule. They also lost four straight matches, all in straight sets. It's kind of been an up-and-down season. They had lost four straight to start the year and then won five of six before hitting this current skid. Um, Columbus in a rut as well. They've lost five of six since last Tuesday. Their only win was a 21-17, 21-14 victory at the Key Cook Tournament on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Wise Muscatine just recently snapped a four-match losing streak with a 26-24, 25-21, 24-26, 25-21 win over Columbus on Tuesday. Sophomore Kylie Sanders had nine kills, 11 digs, and seven aces in that match. All were team highs. So that was kind of her breakout game. It yeah, seems like absolutely. This year. Absolutely. And then we can, uh, we can move on to something else that you would have good knowledge about, and that would be Muscatine Girls Swimming. Um, our good friend Judd Anderson mixed things up again, it sounds like, like he likes to yeah. do, but it turned out well for the Muskies on Tuesday. It did against Clinton. Um, you have several of the swimmers, again, competed in some unfamiliar events. Usually they kind of mix things up. When they're playing bend or PV, no, that's going to be a really tough mm-hmm. meet. But yeah, to do it in a in a meet that could go either way is kind of is pretty gutsy. But you know, you don't coach for forty eight years and uh, and not be gutsy, I'd imagine. Yeah, Judd knows what he's doing, and 
Muskie's got seven individual victories mm -hmm. against Clinton. The, they're back in action at an invitation in Burlington on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Good on uh, the Muskies. We can, we can move on just real quick. I wanted to hit on Muscatine Golf. Um, not, not a whole lot to say here. They were, they were ninth out of ten teams in Cedar Falls. Uh, Coach Scott Schultz was pretty frustrated with how they played just because he feels like the team ha has more potential than, than they showed so far. It, just, it was the same old stuff. They need to work on the short game, just decision-making on what kind of shots they're hitting, things like that. He says he feels like they can, you know, PV and Bettendorf, unreachable in districts at this point, he thinks, but he thinks third place in their district is not unreasonable. They have their conference meet uh, over the next couple of days here, so we'll have some some more of the report back to you on on that next week. But, yeah, I'll be curious to see just how, how their season unfolds here down the stretch. If any of these young kids can uh, can maybe step up and kind of find, find a groove here in these last couple of weeks. And uh, finally, we're going to get to what I promised at the beginning of the show and what, what I hoped for last week. The Muskies ran a cross-country race. This is not a drill, Kyle. This is not a drill. They didn't just run it. Like I said, they won it. Uh, the boys did at least. Um, they won the Fort Madison Invitational. The girls placed second. Um, it had been nearly nearly three weeks since they raced. Uh, Kyle, you, you fancy yourself a runner, right? Fancy myself? Yeah, you a runner? A little bit. A little bit? I run a little bit. I've ran a couple of half marathons. So if you were to go three weeks, let's let's say you're a runner and you're a cross-country runner. If you were to go three weeks knowing that you just weren't going to have a meet or you probably weren't going to have a meet, how tough is that to just train for three weeks with no end in sight? Well, it feels like if you're running cross-country especially, you're running to compete in those meets. That's what you look forward to. So having that long of a stretch where you're just training, practicing, mm -hmm. that's got to be tough. But they stayed mentally tough through it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one thing uh, Chris Foxen told me is that they had very competitive practices. Uh, the one bright side to it was that they knew they weren't going to run, so they could like really go all out and just worry about you know, they were basically running as hard as they would in meets, have, you know, have long recovery days, just all that stuff. And, yeah, once they finally got the run, it worked out very well. Tevin Tovar placed second in 1658. Um, Owen Hazelwood third, uh, 17 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, Fox and said both went to their strengths. Uh, Tovar just out hard right away. Um, Owen Hazelwood uh, just really kind of pouring on the last, last mile and a half. He doesn't have the endurance, I don't think, to go hard the whole race, it, it sounds like, uh, from Foxen, but he really can uh, put on you at the very end and, and make up some ground. Uh, and then they had had six, seven, eight, nine. Obviously, when you have four, you, got, you have two in the top three, and then you have six, seven, eight, nine. Recipe for success. Eli Roth was sixth, Aiden Armstrong seventh, uh, Sam Gordon eight, uh, Logan Kirshner nine. The PR for Armstrong, he had never broke 19 before, and he actually ran 17 minutes and 53 seconds. So the PR by over a minute, very impressive. Uh, maybe he made some progress in those three weeks of practice they had. Um, just real quick on the girls, uh, Riley Blake third in 20 minutes, 47 seconds. Uh, Sophia Thomas eighth in 22 minutes, 16 seconds. And Emmy Smith 12th for the Muskies. Again, they were runners up out there. Kyle just impressions uh, when you look at these times uh, for the Muskies. Uh, what, what, what do you think? It seems like they all ran pretty good races. Yeah, it's impressive that they're still improving time-wise, even though only one meet besides this one. Mm -hmm. So 
but you're not going to believe this either. Both teams are running again tonight. So Hot dog. Yeah. We're going to get another Muscatine Cross Country podcast next week. How exciting. And it's 90 degrees. It's sunny. No way this gets canceled. I say that, and then it'll just start thunderstorming or something somewhere. But looks like we're going to have the Muskies again next week to talk about. Yeah, I I don't know if they'll be too excited running in 90-degree heat, but yeah. it does seem like this will happen. Yeah, I'm curious to see what what their progress is going forward here, just because I feel like they're the team we know the least about because they've barely, they've barely you know played. They've barely raced. So I'm just curious to see what they look like going forward here. And uh, on to some area cross country, um, last week, Wapolo, Columbus, and L&M, they all ran the same, at the same meet, just in the B division that Muscatine was at last Thursday in Fort Madison. Um, Wapolo 6th, uh, Columbus 7th, and L&M 8th on the boys' side as, as a team. That's what they placed. Um, Paul Hoops was top area runner, 15th for uh, L&M in 1948. Uh, Hunter... Hunter Humiston, 21st for Columbus. Uh, Griffin Schunaver, uh, 27th for Wapolo. Didn't see Aiden Hausman's name on the results, so uh, not really sure what's going on there. Um, we'll have to maybe monitor that, keep an eye on that one. On the girls' side, um, Wapolo, 4th. Um, Columbus, 6th. Um, LNM didn't have enough for a team score, but they did have some runners. Uh, Wapolo, um, their freshman, Evelyn Peck, led all area runners with a ninth place finish in 23-20. Anna Hamilton for Columbus was 17th. Abby Kemper for Illinois was 33rd. And then just real quick at Mount Pleasant, a couple teams out there. Wilton Boys, 3rd. Columbus Boys, 4th. Um, Zach Hine, Kyle, the, the one you wrote about just two weeks ago, another impressive race. Uh, second place for him in 18 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, Isaac Hunter, 7th in 19 minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, for Columbus, Hunter Humiston, another good race for him. And uh, Isaac Acosta, uh, I know uh, Columbus coach uh, Steve Rowley was pleased with how they ran out there. Uh, girls, Wilton was fourth. Uh, Linz, or w- Wilton was third, excuse me. Lindsey Ford was fourth as an individual in 22-10. Emmy Drake, ninth. And then for Columbus, Anna Hamilton, uh, once again, was their top runner in 24 minutes and 38 seconds. And unless, Kyle, you have anything to get to, uh, I think it's time for some football talk. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, I guess the, the first thing I wanted to do here before we get into the game previews, uh, since this week is the first week of district play, I know it's not quite the same as seasons past where where district play is the determiner for playoffs. Now it's RPI and, and all that stuff. So, you know, really it's been it's – been play, playoff time has been accounted for since the season started. But I just thought it would be a good, thing, good exercise just to run through the teams and kind of who we, who we think – have the best chance out of our area to, to get into the playoffs, make it out of the regular season. Um, number one, I think we, we both agree on this list, who number one is Wilton. Obviously, I think they are the best team until proven otherwise in the area. I think they have a chance to win that district, and if not, I would not be surprised at all to see them get in just based off RPI. Um, number two, I've got Muscatine. Um, Muscatine, they've got a couple toss-up games. Um this week, also we get to with Iowa City High, Pleasant Valley, a toss-up. Their record's not what you would think. I think they're 1-3 on the season, but they've had a very tough schedule. They're a better team than that. I think they're probably a fringe top-10 team in the state. So that that's one that, that'll be tough for Musk team, but that it could win. Then uh, Iowa City West will be tough. And Davenport North to end the season uh, will, be very, will be tough, but a toss-up. And Lynn Marr, they should win. 
So I think the Muskies have have a shot, have a shot to maybe make a playoff run. We'll see. Oh, this week should tell us a lot. It sounds like. Uh, and then number three, um, West Liberty, the the one three record again is kind of deceiving. They've competed a lot better. Um, their tough games earlier in the season, I think, will will help their opponents' record portion of the RPI, which is a third of of the determiner for playoffs. And then uh, number four here is Durant for me. Um, originally, I thought I was going to put Durant number two, Kyle, but they have a crazy tough schedule. Let me just, you know, RPI is not an exact science, especially this early in the season for how good a team is. Durant's 15th right now, but just let me let me list you the, the teams they play, what their RPI ranks are. Ninth, second, first, fifth, and sixth. That is their district. That is a crazy tough district, but their opponent's records are 27 and 9. That is the, the top opponent's records in class class A. So that does come in handy for the RPI. Um, number five, I've got Wapolo. Decent opponent record. Could go three and two uh, down the stretch of the season. Uh, six is LM. Their opponent record hurts them, I think, 14 and 22. Um they they could they have the talent they could very easily go three and two as well, you know. Again, I think those six teams all do have real have a have a realistic shot at least. And then Columbus, obviously, I don't think either of us Columbus think Columbus is playing the postseason. They're down at number seven. Um, so yeah, I just thought it'd be be a good exercise to run through those teams. Kyle, any any objections uh, to my list? Anybody too low or too high? I don't think so. We can move on then to. Uh, your preview this week, we've got Iowa City High at Muscatine. Um, BC Moore has Iowa City High as six-point favorites. So, again, this is one of those games that if Muscatine wants to go to the playoffs, they probably need to take care of business at home and beat a team that they're not favored to beat necessarily, but it's a real toss-up. Um, what What's the mood like at, at practice, Kyle, coming off their first loss of the season? Pretty young team, homecoming week. There's a lot going on around the Muskies right now. Yeah, they're still all pretty confident. When it sounded like when I went down there and talked to them after Wednesday's practice, uh, but Iowa City High and Muscatine, those two teams have played each other each of the past five seasons. Iowa City High has won three of those contests, but all five of them have been decided by eight or fewer points, so all been really close. Mueller mentioned that when I was talking to him, and like you mentioned, it's homecoming for the Muskies, and they've arrived at a critical point in their season here with district play starting this week. Mm-hmm. Mueller said he expects this one to be another dog fight. Iowa City highlights run the football. The little Hawks have the most rushing yards in Class 4A, District 4 with 724. Mm-hmm. And Mueller said after practice that the defense needs to do a better job tackling this week. Noted that the Muskies have given up big play when the Muskies have given up big plays defensively. It's usually because guys aren't doing their assignments and missing tackles, and he really stressed that. Yeah, that that was something that he was really hoping was going to be improved last week. Number one, just because he wants to see the tackling get better. But number two, against a team like Johnston, they just had to tackle better, and they didn't. And it sounds like this week, if they don't tackle better, it could be a long night as well. You mentioned the close games they played last year. I think that was one of that was one of the Muscatine's two wins last year. Um, 20-16, to 16, if I'm not mistaken. I was at that game. That was the game, for those of you who don't remember or were not there, where much like the beginning of this year, they were playing in a mud pit. So it was very it was very hard to really run anything, take a whole lot away from that game. But, you know, last time these two teams took the field with a lot of different players, but same programs, Muscatine did, in fact, come out on top. Um, Kyle, we were both 17-5 and five after last week. 
Um, we both picked West Liberty. What can you do? Overtime, third time in a row. But but we got all the other ones right, so we're just neck and neck again here. I feel like maybe this could be one where we differ, though, because it is just such a toss-up. Uh, how are you feeling about the Muskies' chances this week? Well, last week they struggled moving the ball against Johnson, 173 total yards. I think that offense gets back on track, though, this week. Iowa City High has surrendered 245 yards rushing last week to Dubuque Hempstead, and I think Tim Nimley and Eli Gabe really get going in this one in Muscatine win. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to agree with you there. I am, I'm very curious to see, you mentioned the, the, you know, the rushing attack is where, where you can really get to City High. I'm curious to see. I, I feel like you might see Eli Gay out of the Wildcat more like five to ten times, uh, maybe even more this week if it really starts working. They ran a couple times. Uh, Johnston caught on pretty quickly, but it did work the one time for a touchdown. And against a bad rushing defense, a read option, which is what they were running, uh, where Eli Gay can either hand off to Nimley or keep it himself, that, that's tough to defend. And I think Muscatine, because of that rushing attack, you know, this is not the same defense they played last week. I think they're going to be able to find that screen game with Eli Gay, get back on track there. We're both going to go Muscatine in this one. I think it will be a close game, definitely a toss-up game, but, you know, I've got the Muskies at number two in my, my playoff hopeful power rankings, and I think that's because I expect them to win this one, lose this one, and it'll be tough uh, to see them making a playoff run just because of their schedule. Um, Kyle, any, anything else to add uh, on this one here? Can we... Can we move on to a, a very interesting Class A matchup? Yeah, let's move on. We've got Durant uh, playing uh, Belle Plain, um, or Bell Plain, excuse me. Um, Durant allowed just 157 yards last week on the ground, like we mentioned. Uh, just 10 rushes for 17 yards for Ricky Forts, uh, the Wapolo back. But this will be a very, very tough test against Bell Plain. They've outscored opponents 53.7 to 7 on average. Their last three games since starting 0-1. Uh, they're now up to ninth in the RPI rankings, which originally when I was looking ahead to this week, I was like, you know, ninth, like that must be one of Durant's tougher games left. Actually, it's not. So they, they really need to win this game if they if they do want to to make a playoff push. Um, Bellpoint does have a very potent rushing attack. They've got four guys with at least 140 yards of rushing. Uh, Trevor Strait leads the way for them at 485 yards and nine touchdowns. Obviously, Durant led by Bryce LaFrenz and Mason Compton. Uh, They've hooked up for 28 times for 482 yards and five touchdowns. Compton still is the Class A leader in receptions and yards, so proving that that quick start was not a fluke. Um, But now Tristan Hughes is back on track, 129 yards last week. We'll see how he does this week. Um, Bell Plain does have a stingy defense, like I said, giving up seven points per game in their last three. is definitely an accomplishment. Um, BC Moore has Durant as a six-point favorite on his website. Joel Diedrichs has kind of talked to me about just preparing for district play all season. Like, this is what they've been working towards. Like I said, even though district play is not the be-all, end-all for playoffs, it still is a big deal, and you still can win the district and get that automatic bid. Um, so, Kyle, just what... What are your impressions looking over the matchups in this one? What do you think Durant needs to do to win this one, and who do you think is going to win this one? Well, you mentioned it. Bell Plain has a potent offense, scored 161 points over the last three weeks combined, but those three games were against opponents that have a collective 1-11 record. Mm-hmm. They face a much tougher defense from Durant this week. Um, I know Bell Plains thrived running the football, like you said, collecting 1,151 rushing yards through the first four weeks. 
But I think the Wildcats will be up to the challenge. They completely shut down Ricky Ford's last week, mm-hmm. holding him well below his average of 132 rushing yards per game, just the 17 last week. So I think Durant starts district play one enough. Yeah, you. Uh, I should have picked first because you definitely stole my thunder. You said just about everything I was going to say, which I'm frustrated by because I was thinking this would be one where we would maybe go different and you'd go Bell Plain and I'd go, well, actually, they actually were – Played teams that were one eleven, so that's why I'm picking Durant. But I'm picking Durant for all the same reasons you are. Again, we're staying the same here. I, I just think that Belflin kind of padded their stat. I don't want to say padded their stats, but that fifty three point seven to seven um, is daunting when you look at it. But then when you look at who they did against, then you look at what Durant did last week against Wapolo. You know, Ricky Forts. That offensive line, yes, we know is a little bit questionable, but Ricky Forts is a very very good running back. So, yeah, I think Durant will stop the run good enough. I think that offense is very, very good. And I do like Durant in this one as well. So we'll move on here uh, to Wilton. This is a very interesting matchup uh, with Sigourney Kyoto. Um, there's a lot of history between these two just in the last two seasons. Um, last year, Wilton came back from a 10-point deficit to beat them 36-30, a clinch a playoff spot for the Beavers that eliminated uh, Sigourney. Um, from playoff contention, the last game of the season um, in 2016, it was the other. It was flipped. Uh, Wilton lost that one, 35-28. I know that was one that the Beavers really felt they should have won or could have won, and that was really a source of motivation all off season for them. That ended their season, bouncing from playoff contention. So now here we are, year three of this kind of two-year rivalry we've got going here. Uh, both teams are three and one, but they're both very, very different teams. Wilton, very balanced. Sigourney, not even in the slightest. They have two guys with over 500 rushing yards. Uh, Carson Crawford with 547. J.D. Stout with 524. Stout has 11 rushing touchdowns. They've only thrown, though, for 82 yards and no touchdowns on the season. Uh, Kyle, can a team that's this one-dimensional, do you think, are they going to be able to do enough uh, against the Wilton defense to, to come away with the win, or do you think... That Wilton defense that's giving up 11.3 points per game, despite giving up that 26 last week, is going to be too tough this week. Yeah, last week I just think Benton had so many different playmakers on offense, they just spread them out way more. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, Sigourney Kyoto will have as much success this week being so one-dimensional like you mentioned, and I, I just think that defense is too tough. Um, talking to Jerome Mays before the season, he said that last year's win over Sigourney Kyoto was kind of the signature game for the team and him, mm-hmm. and um, he kind of led that second-half comeback. So they know very well about that game, and I'm sure they remember that game, and mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll be ready for this one. Yeah, and I'm sure Sigourney will be ready ready as well for that same reason. Like I mentioned, Wilton, on the other hand, is very balanced. Uh, Mays, 416 yards passing, 354 rushing, um, 10 touchdowns on the season. Colin McCraft, 384 rushing yards. They can really hurt you on the air, on the ground, whatever. Um, BC Moore has Wilton as 13-point favorites. If you're going off RPI, Wilton is 16th and Sigourney is 11th. So a win here could really help that RPI for Wilton. Obviously, every game is a big game, but I think this one especially is very important for the Beavers to win. If they were to lose this one to open district play, it, it might, I don't want to say dicey, but it would make the playoffs seem a lot less certain than if they go out and take care of business. Kyle, who you got in this one? I'm picking Wilton to start 1-0 in mm-hmm. district play. Mm-hmm. 
Me too. I'm going with Wilton just for all the reasons we kind of talked about. Sigourney's a good team, but I just think unless unless we're underestimating that rushing attack, and unless that rushing attack really is like an elite, elite, one of the best in the state, it's just tough to beat a defense like Wilton's, I think, when you don't have a passing game to keep them off balance. And, uh, yeah, I think we're both going with Wilton there. Obviously, offensively, they're good as well. Um, on to the Wise and Muscatine, who will look to bounce back from a tough one last week. They'll play West Burlington, Notre Dame. Um, LNM continues to play through Chase Cruz this season. Had 131 rushing yards a week ago. But like I mentioned earlier, I thought it was interesting that when they've been able to pass, they've won games. They're 2-2 two and two when he's thrown, for, he's thrown for 250 yards in their two wins and then 66 yards in their two losses. So a pretty, pretty big difference there. Um, they Again, outside of Cruz, obviously that rushing attack is awesome, so you don't want to abandon it by no means. Um, Maxwell McCauley, Carson Cantrell, and Cody Cavlich all rushed for over 200 yards uh, so far this year. They've scored at least 28 points. Uh, that offense has every game this year. Um, West Burlington, Notre Dame has given up 30 or more in each game this week. So I think you can see the recipe for Wilton to score a lot, or for Louisa Muscatine, excuse me, to score a lot of points. Um, I'm not as sure about Notre Dame, however. They scored six points in three games, like total. Six and then shut out twice until 36 last week over Central Lee. That's a, that's a not very good Central Lee team. Louisa Muscatine, 28-point favorites. Uh, Kyle, any reason to think the Falcons won't uh, win this one fairly handily? I don't think so, that rushing attack shouldn't have any trouble moving the ball this week. They lead Class 2A in rushing yards, 1,192. West Burlington has given up 221 rushing yards per game, and there's just too many playmakers back there for the Wise Musking. Chase Cruz, Contrell, Max McCauley, and Cody Calvage can all run the football, so mm-hmm. I think they get it done this week. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very important for Ellen to start one on district play because the rest of the district is. Uh, is very tough. You've got teams like West Liberty, Mount Vernon, uh, Comanche waiting down the road. So they, they do need to win this one, I think, to have to have dreams of a playoff appearance. And speaking of West Liberty, um, we'll move on. I'm going to say it again this week. West Liberty will not play in overtime for the fourth consecutive time. I'm even going to knock on wood for you guys out there in West Liberty. I don't want you to have to deal with that heartache yet again. I know it's really... And getting to you guys, um, a very tough, tough start to the season, very heart-wrenching start to the season. Um, they play Mount Vernon this week. Like we've talked about, that offense has finally kind of found a rhythm, 27.5 points per game in their last two, uh, three points per game in their first two, so you know, night and day as far as that goes. Uh, Seth Feldman's been the main reason for that. Eight touchdowns for him. He has all eight of their touchdowns actually this year. Six passing, two rushing. Um, 438 passing yards, and he leads the team with 157 rushing yards. Um, one and three, so West Liberty is looking to bounce back from a, a tough loss. They could really use this win. Mount Vernon is also one and three, but you know, for all intents and purposes, they're a two and two team. They would be two and two if they didn't have to forfeit a week three win for playing um, a JV kid six quarters. And it it was where they actually won the game, and their coach self-reported after watching film. I guess it was this was on the Gazette, uh, so you can check it out there if you guys are interested. But they played a kid on special teams for varsity that had played JV, so it wasn't even like a main contributor. So uh, unfortunate oversight for them. Um, so they're now two and two instead of one and three. 
Um, they throw the ball all over the field. Brady Ketchum has 741 yards passing, six touchdowns, but uh, 13 interceptions, Kyle. Um, West Liberty only has two on the season, and so this may be a chance for that defense to to force some turnovers and kind of live up to the preseason billing given to it by uh, its coach. It sure sounds like it, and I think the defensive line is going to need to get pressure on the quarterback, obviously anchored by Spencer Doppel. I think if he gets back there, because in the secondary they have – like we talked about earlier, a lot of new young players back there in the secondary, so I think the pressure is going to be key for them on defense. Mm, absolutely. And then uh, West Liberty, 38th in the RPI. So they base, they, they really, really need to win this game. They're really need to win most of the rest of their games um, for, for their playoff chances. Mount Vernon favored by 19 on BC Moore. Uh, Kyle, I might surprise you here. I think I'm actually going to go with uh, West Liberty in this one. I think they're probably being a little overlooked by by the RPI and by by BC Moore just because you know that one three record. I just can't get the fact that they held Solon to seven points in week two out of my head. And if they can just bring that offense that they've had the last two weeks to go with that defense, I think they're they're a good football team, and I think they're going to show it this week. They always seem to show up in big ways in these bigger games. And I think the game will be a lot closer than 19 points, but Mount Vernon just so tough. Mm-hmm. We saw them last year. They beat West Liberty toward the end of the year after West Liberty had that big win against Williamsburg. And I, I just I think Mount Vernon's too tough and gets the win over West Liberty. So Kyle's going with Mount Vernon. I'm going with West Liberty. So West Liberty, if you hear me. Please put me up by one game in, in our standings, I beg of you. We can move on now uh, to Wapolo at Mediapolis. Obviously, we know all about Mediapolis. Don't have to talk too much about them. We talked about them last week. They're sixth in Class 1A. They're a good team. They just beat LNM by 18 points last week. Uh, for Wapolo, Ricky Ford's 528 yards rushing. Like I said earlier, Noah Holland, first-year starting quarterback, uh, 411 yards and five touchdowns, has, a, has had a nice season. Um, so far, Minneapolis has been winning by an average of 30 points per game. So, yeah, a pretty good team. They have the ninth most rushing yards in 1A. That is going to be a challenge for what what is a questionable line on, on defense and on offense. But defense here uh, for Wapolo. Um, Minneapolis, 25.5-point favorites in this one. They're sixth in the RPI. Wapolo currently at 24. So Wapolo is getting, I think, the most respect, it seems, out of the out of the two and two teams in in that RPI right now. Um, Kyle, who who do you think wins this one? Yeah, Mediapolis did a good job last week of holding the Wise Muskeen's top playmakers in check. Um, you know, outside of Chase Cruz, they held Falcons to just three yards per carry. Mm-hmm. So um, they'll likely key in on Ricky Fords this week, and mm-hmm. I just think they're going to be too tough for Wapolo. I think Mediapolis wins. That's my concern, is that they'll just be able to key in on Fords. And if they take that away, I mean, like I said, Noah, Noah Holland's had a nice year. They've got some weapons in the passing game. But, you know, I just don't think they're going to be explosive enough offensively to keep up in this one with a with a very good Minneapolis team. I'm going to go with Minneapolis, too. I think it'll be closer than that 25.5-point spread. Um, like I mentioned, l played them to 18 points last week. Probably something similar this week for Wapolo. And uh, we can move on finally um, Kyle, is, is this the week? I know I asked that last week. Is this the week? 
Columbus gets off the schneid and gets its first win of the season. They play at Van Buren. Uh, both teams searching for their first win of the season, just like last year, or last week, excuse me, in Columbus's matchup. Uh, both these teams have lost their first four games by 23 points or more. On paper, seems like it might be an even matchup. Uh, what, how do you feel about this one, Kyle? It certainly feels like this is Columbus's best chance at a win the rest of the Oh, it year. absolutely is. If they don't win this week, yeah. they probably... They probably aren't going to win. They, they're in the district with Wilton and Wapolo and uh, and all and Sigourney and all those teams. So if it doesn't happen this week, yeah, it's going to be last, tough. Their last four opponents have a combined 12-4 and four record. Yeah, so not great. This is really it. But I, st- I still feel like they're a little ways away from getting in the win call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's tough to know because we don't have stats from either of these teams' last games. So I... Like I don't does Van Buren have a good enough rushing game to really make make Columbus pay for how how bad that rushing defense has been this year? I I just don't really know. What I will say is uh, RPI Van Buren fiftieth, uh, Columbus fifty second. Uh, BC Moore has Van Buren as six and a half point favorites. Like I mentioned, if Columbus is going to get a win this season, it's happening on Friday. But Kyle, is Columbus going to get the win on Friday? I don't think so. I'm picking Van Buren. It's at Van Buren, so. Yeah, I think uh, it being on the road kind of swings it for me. Also, I think I'll just play it smart. I'm not sure if picking two different games than you that are somewhat risky is a good idea, uh, standings-wise. I don't want to be behind two games come next week. So I'm going to go with Columbus as well. Or Columbus as well. No, no, no. I'm going to go with Van Buren as well. So we've got one difference there. Um, Kyle, anything else to, to add? Uh in this matchup. Obviously, that Columbus offense has improved. Like I said, they scored 24 points last week after being shut out uh, in previous weeks. Maybe they, they keep improving uh, this year. Chance Colby, I think, has kind of been the, the main source of offense. Has He kind of gotten more comfortable playing quarterback, it seems like. Yeah, but I just think the defense has struggled too much. Mm-hmm. And I think Van Buren will probably have a pretty easy time moving the football. Yeah, I think this... Uh, it's funny, neither of these teams has really scored very much this year, but I think this is going to be a shootout. Like, <laughs> like it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see it like a thirty, like a 35 to like 31 or like, I don't know, maybe probably not any field goals, but like 35-33, like a couple of failed extra points or something. Just a real shootout kind of game with teams with okay offenses, defenses that have really struggled. Um, I think that's going to do it for us today, finally. Um, you can follow me at Evan R. Riggs on Twitter. Kyle is at Heim Kyle. Um, like always, we'll post the iTunes link on the journal's website at muscatinejournal.com. You can read us both on there as well. Um, follow Journal Sports on Twitter if you don't already. You should. That's where all the stories get posted. Um, we you know, retweets from, or retweet Kyle and I's Twitter accounts when we're out live tweeting games, things of that nature. It's at mjournal underscore sports. Um, we'll be back next week uh, to look back at Friday's games and just the other other area games this week. We've got some volleyball tonight, Thursday night. That will not be in here when you listen, obviously. We'll get to that next week, and we'll preview uh, the next week of football. Thanks so much for listening.